Um, some of you won't know Graham, most of us will, I suppose. Graham leads the church across all three sites. Uh, he's going to be starting the teaching series that we're beginning today. We're very excited to have him with us. Um, he's a dear friend of mine, and it's a privilege to be part of his leadership team. So why don't you give him a warm seafood welcome to Graham Marsh. Thank you. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you. First time this year. Uh, just struck. Didn't, didn't the guys leading through worship serve as amazingly this morning? Let's just show our appreciation to John, to Sarah, to David, to the guys at the back making it all happen. Okay. Really appreciate that. Just did an amazing job this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, glad that Jez has touched in on some of the things in the next couple of weeks. There's a new rhythm coming into the life of uh, the church, in the life of Kings. Uh, this week, we've got our three evenings, uh, one daytime one as well, if you can't make evenings. Uh, this time around, they do happen to be based across into Eastbourne. If you're able to join us for all or some of them, that'd be great. Just to mention, clarity, on Thursday evening, we're adding in an additional hunger night. And uh, the young people, uh, the young people across in Eastbourne, they're going to be leading, hosting, teaching, preaching, leading the worship in on Thursday night. And uh, just to mention that to you as well. So that's part of the rhythm. We're starting off by the church gathering together at the beginning of every term uh, for these uh, three days of prayer and worship. And then uh, you mentioned the Andy Kind. There's an outreach event that we want to kind of reach out to the people around us to try and make some connection with them. The following on from that, the following week, is going to be another United event when uh, you know, we, we're trying to increasingly mention the fact that there's, uh, we're one church, we just happen to be in three locations, so it's actually really important that we gather together as uh, the one church. And then we're heading into this new program called Groups, over 70 different groups will be being launched in a couple of weeks' time. That will run through to about Easter. And then over the Easter time, part of an important part of the rhythm in the life of the church is that we need to have rest as well. And uh, there'll be a couple of weeks where there'll be rest, and then we'll start the whole kind of like cycle off again. I encourage you, please sign into the groups. Uh, I'm a strong believer in the importance of groups. It's where people can find a place to belong. It is also a place that people can uh, believe for more. Okay, so if you're kind of looking in, part of this, what is check out what this community is. Come and belong in the community. It's really important, the building friendships, uh, support, uh, connections, relationship with one another. I don't think we're meant to do Christianity on our own. I don't think we're meant to be independent. I think actually we're meant to be interdependent upon one another. And actually being a part of the group is you not sitting to one side to say, I'm doing it all by myself. We say, no, we're doing this together. So as I'm running, you've got others running with you. As At times you're going to find it really tough and difficult. You've got others immediately in around you. One of my key leaders uh, this morning uh, just overwhelmed with sadness because of a, of a death yesterday of a, his closest friend. And actually, you don't want to be independent in situations like that. You really need to have people around you today come on with you. We're supporting you. We're on this. We're in this together. And actually, belonging part of group is part of that. It's also believing for more. If you look at small groups in the Bible, they were ex extremely explosive when you looked at what happened in the context of groups. So let's believe for more. Let's find a place to belong. I encourage you to sign up. I think there's something like 400 people signed up in the last week. Uh, I hope that you were a part of that. So we're heading into a new teaching series today called Essence. Okay, so not vanilla essence, not strawberry essence. The word essence means uh, the inherent nature 
or indispensable quality of something which determines its character. The soul, the spirit, the ethos, the nature, the life, the lifeblood, the core, the heart, the center, the crux, the nub, the nucleus, the gist, the substance, the principle, the essential part, the reality, and the actuality. We're looking at this word called essence because essentially we wanted to look at what is our inherent nature of who we are now that we are Christians. Now, some of you are looking in and trying to work out what Christianity is about. This teaching series that we're running in for the next six or seven weeks is primarily aimed at the Christian to get a good understanding of our now position of where we find ourselves. If you're a non-Christian looking in, we want to express to you and explain to you why we honestly think it is such good news being a Christian. Our identity has completely changed as a result of making that decision one day to say, Jesus, I'm making you king or leader of my life. We've totally changed. Primarily, we are looking at this subject over the next few weeks, and we want to be using a, a letter in the Bible, a letter that was written to a church by a man named Paul. Paul was one of the early Christian leaders, uh, probably one of the most significant Christian leaders when the Christian church was established a couple of thousand years ago. And there was a church in an insignificant town called Colossi. Colossi had started. It was insignificant. There was nothing extraordinary about it. It was just ordinary people uh, who went to this ordinary church. We, we pick up the understanding, the background of how this church began, actually by reading the book of Acts. Acts is kind of the outworking, the story of how the early church began. And in chapter 19, it says this, And when Paul entered the synagogue, the religious building where the Jews would gather together, for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the whole of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, the key bit in that is all the residents. So all, all the people heard this, because this place called Colossae was uh, in, in Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey, about 120 miles away, probably from Ephesus. It used to be on a trade route, no longer on a trade route. Uh, the local towns of uh, Laodicea and Herapolis were probably more important, but this church had got established in this town probably as a result of a man called Epaphras, who was a new disciple, new convert, as a result of being in Ephesus, he returned to his hometown, established a church not only in Colossae, but also in Laodicea and Herapolis as well. So Epaphras was the founder, the founding father. Paul was, in effect, therefore, the grandfather figure. Um, and so when we're looking at a, like a letter that was written in the Bible, we've got to ask the question, why was the letter written? Epaphras, we can kind of work out and deduce and assume, had visited Paul probably in prison when it, Paul was in, uh, in Rome. And uh, he was giving an update. He was saying, look, how's it going? Paul was saying, what's going on? How's it going? And he gave a very positive report about what was taking place. But there was one or two things that was just concerning Epaphras that he's sounding out to Paul. What should we do about this? Paul listened in, heard about some of the concerns, and he decided to write to the church in Colossae. Probably never visited it, but he wanted to write to them and say, hold on, guys, watch out. You're doing well. You're doing great. Let's just make sure that some of these kind of things, we're just tweaking some of this because you're going a little bit, a little bit off beam. And if you keep going off beam, eventually you're going to end up in completely the wrong place. 
Visitors have come into the church. They've been saying, you've done very well. The visitors have been saying, hey, this is great. Your message that you've heard and the gospel that Paul had been preaching, well done, but it isn't the complete gospel. It's kind of like entry level. You need to now go on to the special level. You now need to work up the levels. And actually what you need is a little bit more knowledge. Uh, so it's Jesus plus a special knowledge. Uh, what also you need is Jesus plus a few more religious rituals. Uh, you need Jesus and vision and angels. You need Jesus and self-denial. What they were introducing was things in addition to, to just basically Jesus, and this was causing some level of division because if you have people coming up to you, and people come up to me from time to time and say, Graham, you need to be doing this more in the church. We've got this kind of like, we've got a greater insight. We've got a greater revelation of what you need to do. What happens in that context is that there can be a superiority that emerges because people go, well, I've got the special knowledge or I don't have the special knowledge. Therefore, I feel inferior to these people who have this more insight uh, and, and stuff like that. And so Paul was going, hang on a minute, this isn't quite right because we don't need Jesus plus special knowledge or religious rituals or vision and angels and Jesus plus self-denial. All we need is Jesus plus nothing. You don't need any more knowledge. You don't need any additional deliverance. You don't need any uh, you know, further protection. You don't need to be adding any rituals. You have it all in Jesus. When Paul was writing not only to this church but to other churches, this kind of an overall theme that you can pick up in, in letters. So when he was writing to a church in Galatia, it was really about being free on the inside. When he was talking and writing to the church back in Ephesus, he was talking about being new on the inside. When he was talking to this church in Colossae, you could really look at it and go, look, you are strong on the inside. Don't let it go. You are stronger than what you think. You have everything in you to stand firm. Therefore, stand strong. So let's pick it up, Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, He's lying up right at the front end. They, they don't really know Paul. Paul's not been there, but he's laying out his foundations and his credentials. I have the authority because that's been given by God himself. Listen to what I'm saying. So by the will of God and also our Timothy, our brother. To the saints and to the faithful brothers of Christ at Colossae, grace to you, peace from our God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Okay, we're going to stop there. We're not actually going to cover all of those eight verses. In fact, we're just going to cover just one verse, and technically we're going to cover half of one verse today. And it's that verse, half of verse 2, which says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Let me just emphasize where it says brothers. This is a plural word that was talking about families, brothers and sisters in Christ, to the saints and to the family in Christ. Some of you, because I know you are, uber cool in Seaford. You will know that the US rapper and music producer uh, Kanye West and his uh, TV celebrity wife called uber cool in Seaford. They had no idea in Eastbourne last week. Kim Kardashian, they've just had a second child, probably about a month old. They've named that child 
yeah, very up there with it. Some of you go, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Just fake it. You're doing great. Others are covering your back. Okay, so they had a baby, and they've called the baby Saint. About a week later from that, the Catholic Church announced that Mother Teresa is to officially be made a saint by the Catholic Church. The votes have been in, they've been independently verified, and no official order, but she has been verified as a saint. One has been named a saint by a couple of celebrities in America, and one after a lifestyle because of how she lived her life has been deemed to be now declared to be a saint. Being named a saint is actually very biblical. Becoming a saint is also biblical. So I've already mentioned Paul, who was often writing letters to the churches. Here's some examples how he introduced a few of those letters to these churches. When he wrote to the church in Rome, he said, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. When he was writing to the church in Ephesus, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I don't think we have these words. When we wrote to the church in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And then he wrote a couple of letters to a church in Corinth. He said, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, made holy, separated, set apart, to those made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And his second letter, when he wrote to them, to the church of God that's in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Turns out that there was lots of saints in the Bible. In fact, in essence, it's who you are in Christ. It's who you are. You are a saint. 300 times in the New Testament, it refers to people who don't believe in Jesus as sinners. 200 times in the New Testament, that refers to those who believe in Jesus as saints or holy ones. So it's not just a title. It's not, just, it's not just simply a name. It's your core of who you now are. If you are a follower, believer, and you would say that you're a Christian, then the name that has been declared over you and your, who you are, you are a saint. The soul, the spirit, the ethos, the nature, the life, the lifeblood, the core, the heart, the center of it all is who you are. It is now your inherent nature. The first few words in this letter could be so easily overlooked. That's why I want to spend the time looking at half of one verse today. Because it's not just simply some formal greeting Paul is wanting to establish right at the very beginning. The component, the key component of the Christian faith that essentially our, our identity, our spiritual DNA of who we are has essentially changed. Paul was writing, he wasn't writing to academics. Paul wasn't writing to scholars of the day. He was writing to just ordinary people. He was not writing to, to the clever ones. He was writing to average, ordinary people, a bit like me, everyday, average people, and he was calling them, you're a saint. And if you read any of the letters, you will begin to realize that these average, everyday kind of people were living the kind of lives that we get ourselves involved in ourselves. Often complicated, often untidy, and often shocking. And yet, he still calls them, you're a saint. Now, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, he said this, chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous, those who are not right before God, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Don't be con conned, okay? 
Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Just look at that phrase, you were washed. I, I, I guess the majority of people, unless you're a young teenage lad, will understand what it means to be washed. You are sanctified. So it's a bit more a tricky word. It means you've been set apart. You've been made holy. You've been made clean. Set apart by someone, for someone, for some reason. And you've been justified. Justified is this legal expression which actually means you have been declared not guilty. Even though inside you go, I know I'm guilty. You've been declared not guilty. Someone else has already actually been found guilty on your behalf. And because, of this, because somebody has already been found guilty, you are no longer not guilty. Let me try and explain this a little bit. I think Andrew has mentioned this, but it's actually happened to me painfully. I was very excited over the Christmas period because finally I've got my very own jet wash. And having your very own jet wash, you know, it's kind of like a manly tool kind of thing that you can wash things in a manly kind of way. And, but I have bad memories of jet wash. Uh, we had some drain problems, and I lifted up the manhole cover a year or so back and lifted up to realize there was clearly a blockage down in the drains, and everything that had come from the toilets to this point was now all sitting in the, within, kind of, you lift up the manhole cover, it's just sitting there, the inspection chamber. So I had this bright idea of getting a jet wash out and putting the jet wash into the chamber. Now, if you ever put a jet wash into a bucket, you know what happens. Well, this happened when I put the jet wash down into the chamber, and everything that was wanting, it cleared the blockage. Because everything that was now in the chamber was now just backwashed over me. Everything. Covered. I stung. I just kind of like, oh, oh. opened my eyes. The, you could see the white of my eyes and that was it. It was like, I was just covered in it. It's disgusting. Now, if I'd gone into the house at that point, gone to my wife and went, oh, Blinda, I know that, you know, touch is one of your top five love languages. Come, come, come here. Come, come, come. Give me a cuddle. At that point, she is going to be somewhat repulsed by that. I was repulsed by it, honestly. It was disgusting. Actually, I could, it's okay, Belinda, come, 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 no, no, no way. And if I just put a jacket on over the top, would she still want, no, she would not have wanted to cuddle me. Why? Because, Graham, just for goodness sake, go and get washed. You, you need to go and get clean. I'm not coming anywhere near you unless you have been washed. You were washed. John, can you just jump out here? Okay, this is John. John, come on, John. Okay, so John, he's led worship this morning, but, and John is a really good guy, but I, I know that there's been times that John probably hasn't been that much of a good guy. Abby, well, we won't have time for that, but, but John started that life just, you know, it's just, just. He actually inherited something when he was born. He looked pretty good, but he inherited something mess into his life. And as life has gone on, he's added to that mess, the, 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 the selfishness and the, his own personal desires and, and intentions. And actually, when he's just wanted to kind of like live it his way and, and, and kind of be living disobedience, and, and he's kind of like come into a place where it's just... I've got... That's quite cool. 
But actually now to say, John, I kind of, hey, John, no, I don't, actually, there's something about how John now, that the purity is gone. And he's messed up and he's got it wrong and he's made, what we need, John, I don't want you to come actually anywhere near me. You need sorting out, mate. And in fact, actually, one of the answers, and uh, Martin prayed it towards the end, you put that on, because we kind of get, get clothed. And, and what was not accept, what was unacceptable before God, so we could not bridge this gap, so we could not come close in relationship to God, needed to get resolved. You see, and suddenly it's like going, oh, that's better. Come on, John, bring it in, bring it in. Come on. Oh, that's lovely. Okay, because now... I'm not going to get transferred all that dirt and that grime is not coming with me. But, 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 but something about being clothed in the righteousness of God is fantastic news. Look, we are now clothed in his righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? But the reality is that some of us go, Lord, phew, that was lucky that I'm now clothed in Christ because underneath I know that I'm horrible, I'm grotty, I've still got the same slime and the dirt and the scum underneath. Okay. I'm slightly worried about the next part of the illustration. Okay, okay, uh, yeah. Because actually it's a wrong biblical belief that if we think underneath we're still carrying the same scum and the rubbish and the same regrets and the same remorse and the same shame because in Christ it says that we have been washed. Go on, John. Try and make it look appropriate if you can. I'll just come across you. Go, go, John. Okay, go on, okay. Because look, we remove it and look. I don't know whether that's a wow at you or a wow at the illustration, John, but because suddenly, suddenly, he's standing there that he's saying, Do you know what? I was previously covered in this dirt and this slime and this mess and the effluence of my life, my own doing. But because I'm now in Christ, deep down in the core, I've actually been cleaned up and washed up. And, and some of us need to get that. This is how we're now looked at by God. He doesn't see the, the graffitied shirt covered up luckily by Jesus. This is how God views us. Because our essential nature has changed. John, thank you so much for demonstrating that beautifully. The people almost gave you a round of applause at that point. Almost. Almost again. <laughs> So underneath the external is an internal work that has already been done. The mess has been removed. The shame has been removed. The guilt layer has gone. That, that layer has been taken away. Our inner being, who we are, has been made right through and through. We're a whole new creation washed first. But not only forgiven for Jesus dying for our sins, but shame has been removed. We received the life back. We've been made holy. We've been set apart for a reason. So as he's standing there, and John was standing there, suddenly in this new, clean life, it's a fresh start. So that says, John, you can now lead the life that God always had planned for you without the grot and without the backstory, without the history wrecking our chances. And when you're suddenly standing there with the cleanness and the purity, you suddenly go, well, why on earth would I want to go back to that old life because I now have this fresh start, this fresh chance? Often we will refer to a, a, a story that Jesus told about 
The Christians know it as the prodigal son. It was the wayward son. The, the son who went to his dad and said, I want my inheritance now. I, I want it now. Okay, I, I don't want to wait until you die. Give me, give me what I deserve now. And his dad graciously gave him. And the son went off, threw it all away, blew it on a lavish lifestyle. One day realized when he lost it all, was swilling out the pigs or whatever, came to his senses, I must go back to my father, apologize, say sorry, perhaps I can just be a servant in his household. But it says to the story that the father was there waiting for him, looking for him. When he saw the son approaching, he ran up to him, put a cloak on him. The cloak did cover the shame, but the cloak did not make the son a son. The son was already a son. The cloak being placed upon him did not make him the son, because underneath he was already a son. And so he said, come and enjoy the feast. Who you are, now enjoy life. In essence, every Christian is a saint. We've all been set apart by God, for God, for a reason. In fact, you can't be a Christian without being a saint. No longer sinners in the hands of an angry God, saints in the hands of a loving Father. Many have accepted the false idea that only certain people become saints. And some Christian traditions have, have promoted this viewpoint of sainthood, uh, sainthood, of picking up out on certain people for their miraculous works or their remarkable lifestyle. But it is completely unscriptural. It's simply not in the Bible. They say, live like a saint and you might become a saint. Where the Bible says this, you are a saint. It's your inheritant position, your nature of who you are. Therefore, because you are a saint, now live like one. So back to the illustration, John being cleaned up, past has been dealt with, now living free. Why on earth would you want to return to that old lifestyle? A familiar film to some back in the 90s, I think, was or late 80s, a film called Pretty Woman, where Julia Roberts, Richard Gere were the main actors. Julia Roberts played the part of a prostitute. Richard Gere was a client, a high-end, high-value, rich client, who, who started to try to, to pay her into a different lifestyle. She was given the opportunity. Fresh start, clean start. But actually what came more than just the fresh opportunity, the fresh start, back out of the old lifestyle into a new lifestyle, also came with it the loving embrace of a relationship. And she was freed. And there's a moment in the film where she went back to her old way of life. And it's like, why would you do that? Now you've got this opportunity. And Christian this morning, you have been brought into a cleanness, a clarity, a position with God. Why? Paul is saying, why, why would you think about going to live like that? You are now a saint. Fundamentally, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint who, from time to time, gets things wrong. There's a massive difference. Because if you remain a sinner trying to live an acceptable standard, it's about your efforts and your abilities. But this letter is all about Jesus plus nothing. It's nothing about our ability or our efforts. It's all about his effort and now who we are as a result of all that he has done. What can I do to be more accepted by God? Nothing. What can I do to be more loved by him? Nothing. I'm already accepted. I'm already approved. So Graham, stop trying to become something that you already are. Start living the life that has already been given. But you say, but Graham, don't, don't you know what has been done to me? It doesn't change who you are. But don't you know how bad I've been? 
doesn't change who you are. But don't you know what a failure I've been as a Christian? It does not change who you are. You say, but what about my future sins? Don't they jeopardize things? Well, to be honest, when Jesus died once and for all, all of our sins were future sins. That forgiveness was not earned. It was a free gift, grace of God. But we all do things wrong. Um, You see, what I'm not talking about is sinless perfection. Come as no surprise that my kids from time to time in the past have done things wrong. I've got my daughter with me today, incredibly, incredibly proud of her. But however lovely and angelic she looks today, in the past she has done things that were slightly wrong. I remember one occasion that had all gone quiet upstairs, which was always a danger sign. Okay, so we went upstairs and there was a trail of hair on the floor. And Beth had decided to restyle her older brother's hair and, and, and just Sven Goran Eriksson might mean something to some people. He was the football manager for England and, and he kind of like had a, a lot of hair here and no hair up the middle. Well, Beth had styled Jake's hair in the style of Sven Goran Eriksson and this was a day before a wedding that we were attending. And so we had quickly dashed off and had his hair shaved off Jack style over there. And, and it's like going in that situation, but it's like, oh, no, how could you do that? In that moment of exasperation and frustration, like, I can't believe you've done that. But actually, Beth's position as my daughter never came into question. Her behavior might not have been appreciated at that time, But her position as my daughter was never questioned for a moment. I I can't disown her. I don't want to disown her. But my DNA is so entangled in Beth's I can't now detangle that and say, I now disown you and turn my back on you because for the rest of life, she's my daughter. When we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we get it wrong, we remain the children of God who share in his divine inherent nature. He is not going to detangle his spiritual DNA from us. Our relationship with him does not fundamentally change when we get it wrong. What we do, we need to get it sorted. And the friction, we need to get it repaired to simply restore the friendship. But my position doesn't alter. You have been declared a saint through Christ. And now develop into saints. Be who God has made you to be. We now have a very clear agenda for our lives. Made holy for a purpose, by someone, for a reason. And the reason is this. To become the person that God has simply declared us to be. Become your name. You are a saint. Be a saint. I can't live up to it. Yes, you can. It's who you are. You are stronger than that. Your relationship to your old life has ended, separated, detached from it. You now have a new life. Learn to say no to the old life. Find that God inner strength within you. Stop the arguments. Again, when you're in the car, when you've got young kids and, 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 and the falling out on the back seat and the, and the squabbles and the throwing of empty crisp packets and Coke cans at each other's head and things like that. There comes a point as a parent that you just simply say, enough! 
I don't want to hear the arguments. I don't want to hear that bickering anymore. And sometimes it's, actually that is how we should be relating to our old life, where we simply say to our old life, enough, I'm not listening to those arguments anymore. This is what Paul said, wrote to the church in, in Rome. Uh, I'll pick it up. Ooh, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in the life-saving resurrection. Great news. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. Verse 12, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of the day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full-time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Sin no longer tells you how to live. You say, enough. You've got a brand new life, a brand new nature. It's your inherent nature, your essence. In essence, you are a saint in God. You can now turn around to that old way of life and say, enough, no more. The illustration that Paul uses in the next chapter, chapter 7, likens our old life being dictated to by an abusive husband. But it says that relationship has now ended. You, you Actually, it says you died. And as a result of you dying, that relationship was severed. Because Jez is here this morning, if you're big fans of Downton Abbey, you'll know that there was a character in there called uh, Miss Baxter. Miss Baxter was one of the maids, and she'd been corrupted by a gentleman and had to go to prison as a result of them. And this man was now in prison wanting her to go and visit him. And eventually she said, no, I'm not going to visit him because I'm going to take control. I'm no longer under his control. We used to have an old life that we had to come to the beck and the call of every demand it was placing upon us. And we've got to come to a point where we go, no, I'm not going to visit Miss Baxter. And I'm not going to visit this old tyrant who used to control my life. Now, David Beckham, well-known footballer, in a recent interview said that he still gets frightened when he's in the same room as Alex Ferguson. He was recently in a room when he was having a glass of wine and Alex Ferguson never let him drink wine. And he was having a chocolate. Alex Ferguson walks in and he hid his glass of wine from him. He has not been under the management of Sir Alex Ferguson for decades. And yet he's still living under the fear of the old boss. We're not to give the old boss the time of day because your relationship with the old boss has now ended. That old tyrant... But it's so easy to feel the panic, so easy to feel the fear. Throws you back into the panic, throws you back in because you're still under the influence. Listen, don't live like the old you, the old patterns of behavior, because that is not who you are. The old you is now dead. That relationship has ended. And those controlling thoughts and those demanding habits and those dominant behaviors, they need to hear you say, enough. Take control. Don't be weak. You are stronger than that because you have the very life and breadth of Jesus in you. Don't have to listen. You don't have to have those thoughts or those fears or those actions dominate you any longer. The second half of the half of the verse that we're looking at very quickly, 
So a quarter of verse 2 says this, to the saints and to the faithful brothers in Christ. Faithful, those who are filled with faith, choosing to believe what God says, no longer choosing to believe what we think. Exercising faith is taking God at his word. Not just the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, and the miracles and the death and the resurrection and the promise to come of the Holy Spirit, and one day Jesus will return. Not just those big headlines of what Christianity is about, but he's also taking on board and believing in what God says about you. So when he says you are a new creation, you believe him. When he says you are loved, believe him. And when he says you are forgiven, accepted, and washed, believe him. And when he says your shame has been removed, believe him. And when he says you are no longer living under the judgment and condemnation, believe him. When he says you are worth it, believe him. When he says you have the same power inside you that raised Christ from the dead, believe him. And when he says you are a saint and everything inside you wants to burst out laughing at that statement, choose to believe him. And when we hear it's Jesus plus nothing, let's take him at his word. Let's stop arguing with the voices. Let's stop saying yes when we can say enough is enough. I'm choosing to believe. Become the person he has declared you to be. You are a saint. It's your inherent nature who you are. So be who you are. Let's stand together. It's amazing news. It's fantastic. At the beginning of a a new year when we often think about fresh starts and new year resolutions and change of lifestyles and major decisions and things like that, that amazing thing is that you declared a fresh start over all of our lives. Thank you that we now stand before you, be made clean because we've been washed by you. Thank you that now we've been holy because you have declared us to be holy. Thank you that you have called us, you have separated us, you have brought us into this place where we can now live the life you want us to live. I pray for each of us as we stand sometimes in front of a mirror looking at our life and we look at the regrets and we look at the shame and we look at the guilt, help us to understand and see in that reflection how you view us, our children of God, loved by a heavenly Father, who can't do anything to be more approved and loved by you, who can't change our status because we are intrinsically linked, our spiritual DNA is entwined with you. You will never disown us. You will never walk from us. Your favor will not go from us unto someone else. Thank you that you have the capacity and you have the love and the ability and you have your preference towards us. And Father, I pray deep within us as we start out this year and we start out this series that actually the very essence of who we now are will change and shape how we think and we'll start to understand and view ourselves how you see us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.